0: Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything. Prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, begging, waiting, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more attainable target. A major part of this approach is talking openly about what my grief is like and helping others to do the same so we don't have to keep it all to ourselves. With this newfound permission to let all the parts of us be here, We may feel more human and less like a robot on autopilot. So, I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So, thank you for joining this episode of the Healing Path podcast. Today, I'm sharing about a post called Choices. And it's uh, another post that kind of talks about going from theory to practice to mastery. This can be applied in so many different ways. And really, the underlying theme here in this post is just reminding us that we have choices. And sometimes we can make choices um, in support of what we need, and still end up helping others, which is amazing. Um, But I apply this in a different way, (laughs) and uh, so I want to share it here. It's a little bit long, so as always, take any breaks that you may need, and we'll be here when you get back. So, choices. I've often written about the importance of being able to access the skill sets we worked so hard to develop when we actually need them. Understanding what drives our behavior is critical if we want our actions to be commensurate with our insides. But we need to do more than just read and understand these concepts, which is theory. We need to actually practice what we've learned and continue to apply this knowledge in new ways for our healing paths to be able to spiral up. We can't just collect information and store it away. We have to know where it is, what it is, how to get to it quickly, and which material we might need for which situations. Thus, the word practice, this is not an end game, but a series of choices we create as we try to apply what we hope we've learned. Having the ability to experience the full gamut of applying several concepts to a random situation I used to uh, regularly dread and now actually eagerly look forward to is what we're going for in our work together. You may have noticed that our homeless population seems to be growing. When I worked in Washington, D.C. pre-pandemic, I took great joy in bringing food to the homeless spots around the city. Nothing earth-shattering, just bulk granola or protein bars that I could easily leave on the benches. I used to love starting my day this way, and I've written about it a lot. There's some links to some posts in the actual blog post Um, about this topic as it relates to something else other than the homeless. And I miss my Washington, D.C. wayward peeps. I wonder how many of them may have perished since pre-pandemic when I used to regularly interact with them. I don't think I realized at the time I was helping them how it was actually healing me to be regularly generous because I felt like I was helping someone else, but I wasn't exactly seeing it as helping myself. If you have a tendency toward being empathetic like I do, you may have noticed that it started at an early age. I know mine did. I remember crying my heart out when a boy in my first grade class was publicly spanked by the principal. I recall seeing a separate different boy at another school get teased and having that memory Of his shaming keep me up at night. I always felt it all. It was heavy and visceral and felt like the pain and shaming somehow also belonged to me. I carried it as if I had been the one to receive those punishments. I have another distinct memory of the same feeling of empathy, which happened when I was in New York City as a young girl and was seeing so many people asking for money. The adult I was with mentioned that they should get jobs and stop pandering. Even as a 10-year-old, I remember saying something in the spirit of, imagine how hard, how embarrassing it would be to have to beg for money. I think if they could work, they would. Let's give them some. And as Lady Gaga so eloquently says, I was born this way. So fast forward back to the present. Now that I'm semi-retired, I rarely go all the way into Washington, but I have been noticing the increasing number of people standing at intersections, holding their signs and setting up with their baby strollers all around the goal of conjuring up enough empathy from strangers that we will reach into our pockets, our purses and our glove boxes and share what we have with someone we don't know, share what we have with someone we don't know. It's an easy sell for me, but I used to dread seeing these folks because they appear so vulnerable and I can always see myself in them. I wonder what their stories are and what happened to them. I want to hear what they've learned and I want to help them feel seen. So here's where it gets interesting. My understanding of myself and how I see others in the world could be considered theory. I've meditated, read, studied, contemplated, journaled, and spent time, (laughs) you guessed it, getting to know myself. Getting curious about my propensity toward empathy is a major component of finding the best way forward, given the constraints of my own personal reality. And if an aha understanding occurs in the process, that's amazing. And if that's as far as you get with your theory, it can still be life-changing, But now that I'm working toward being that warrior of the mind instead of just the librarian of the mind, I don't only seek to understand. I want to know how this understanding can be applied, also called practice, and hopefully eventually even result in a behavior or mind hack that will help me learn to celebrate my empathy instead of feeling suffocated suffocated by it, which would be mastery. And here's how I did just that. So until recently, when I saw people asking for money at intersections, it made me squirm. I might even go out of my way not to have to stop right next to someone asking for help. It wasn't because I didn't care about my fellow humans, and it was actually quite the opposite. Seeing people in dire need triggered the helplessness I felt in not being able to save everyone, myself included, which was paralyzing at times. Even if I gave some money or food, the feeling of, and this really is the word, impotence, the feeling of impotence, scratched the old itch of not being able to save my own children from death. Took me years to figure this out, by the way. So of course, I didn't really know that at the time, but this is the beauty of the process. Once I really sat and opened to my experience of feeling powerlessness and helpless, I could investigate those feelings and even ask myself what, if anything, I needed at that moment. By inviting these feelings into my awareness, connecting with them, and really trying to know the emotions, I was able to start to understand the reasons why I was triggered by folks asking for help. Again, that's the practice version of it. But more hopefully, now that I have this understanding, I can take it to the mastery level by behaving differently when I do see these cues. I can react in a way that honors my empathy instead of spitting all over it. Realizing that my squirminess and nausea originated from my perceived inability to help, I concluded that if I could help even a little, but on a regular basis, consistency over volume, sound familiar, that I might be able to celebrate my empathy and in doing so, bring myself into a better experience, into a better quality of life. Once that wasn't triggered by those in need, which is all of us, by the way, I really got some insight into what was driving my reactions and what I could do next. So I got curious and I got to work. I put together small goodies Ziploc bags to keep in my car and hand out during the course of my days. I include protein bars, Halloween candy at the moment, (laughs) granola bars, even a, a festive napkin and a $5 bill in each bag. I keep a stack of these in my garage, and when my car stash is low, I grab a few more and throw them in the car console so I can easily access them. And here is the moment where all the work of practice and theory unfolds in a way that brings about mastery and ultimately peace, which is what we're going for. Now that I'm prepared to serve people asking for help, I actually look for them at the stoplights <laughs> because I'm now fueled by the fleeting but genuine connection that occurs when I share this festive little Ziploc. I am moved when I notice curiosity and gratitude in a stranger's eyes who meet mine, and I hand them this token of humanity. And this is huge. I'm going to say it again. I now look forward to and am personally enriched by a situation that I used to run from because it brought me so much anguish and stress. This is mastery. This is the moment where all the blood, sweat and tears of embracing life as an empath in parentheses, or whatever you need to accept about yourself <laughs> that you run from because it makes you squirmy. That's when embracing this life becomes its own reward. Giving has always made me feel good. Not being able to give has always made me feel bad. So knowing myself this well, I took some steps to put myself in a position of in a way that's consistent with who I actually am, a giver. I no longer dread seeing people at the intersections asking for money. I do what I can to get closer because I'm ready. When I hand them the treats, I look in their eyes and connect with their humanity. I take their smile and imbibe it as if it were liquid gold. A little money and a little TLC creates a win for them and a win for me. And this is the magic of mastery. This example of my own ability to convert a situation that formerly and regularly brought me suffering into one that now brings me joy is the big prize and the one I'm always going for. Because the suffering itself is not the problem. The problem is ignoring our suffering, which is actually there with clues. It's where our power lies. It's got information. And if we investigate and we can open to understanding why certain situations make us cringe, we might be able to make a different choice, one that is healing for us instead of incessantly caustic. And choices are what we train for the more options we can see, the better shot we have at choosing to act in a way that serves our own well-being. And often, we can serve others simultaneously, which for an empath is definitely the big prize. When that happens, we can take a stressful situation and transition it into one of comfort. And oh, What a life we can live when we learn to do this on a regular basis. Are there any recurring cues in your environment that you regularly run from and perhaps can learn to understand well enough, (laughs) not just to alleviate the suffering, but to transition these opportunities into bringing you joy instead of anguish? I wouldn't have believed it was possible either, but that's why I'm here telling you all about it. So try this out. And of course, we love to hear from you in the blog at uh, lisamcfarland.com. So thanks for checking out this episode of The Healing Path. And yeah, I'm kind of proud of this um, because so often during the decades that I was uh, just yearning for answers of some kind um, after my children died. uh, My daughter 25 years ago, my son, I guess, a little over 20 years ago and i you know I was always just searching and yearning and what can i read and who has the answers and how do i you know how can i feel how, how can i feel better how can i um not feel so victimized and so vulnerable and so scared all the time because i have a family that needs me and even more than that i need me so yeah this was a pretty courageous one um but it but it's it's the promise and i love sharing the results because I hope that it inspires you the way that it has inspired me so that when we're in situations that make us uncomfortable, that make us feel nauseous, that make us feel squirmy or uncomfortable in our own skin, we tend to run from those. They're negative uh, cues, you know, make it stop. We don't want to feel it. We don't want to pay attention to it. Um, Just like with our grief, we don't want to feel it. We don't want to pay attention to it but what we can do is if we learn to welcome i know welcome our grief i know it's not easy but when we do welcome the things that make us most uncomfortable i swear that's where the pearls are that's where the gems are that's where the knowledge and the wisdom are so after having done this for you know 40ish years i'm about to turn 53 um It's nice to be able to have something to show for it and say, wow, okay, I really tried to understand, you know, first I stopped ignoring how I was feeling. That's the first thing is to let it actually arise. Um, And then really just trying to understand what those feelings were and why were they upsetting me so much. And then realizing, oh, this is, you know, this is opening or, you know, scraping a scab off of, my pain of not being able to save the lives of my children and often not being able to protect even their comfort, um, even, you know, especially for Zachary, who's now 23. So once I could understand why that was so agitating for me or why it felt so threatening and that, you know, perhaps I was seeing myself in these folks, which I do think is a big part of my own spirituality, and I'm not alone in that. Um, dedication, but not just seeing myself and others. But boy, I, I it made me feel um, helpless, and it reminded me of the way I felt when I couldn't protect my family. So the beauty is, okay, now that I understand that about myself, what can I do? Because people are in need everywhere, every. Where, in every way, in every shape, it's not money and candy, it's everything. And my deep belief as a result of a lot of this experience and trying to navigate grief for so long is that actually we can look at things differently. And as I said, it always starts with allowing. We have to allow. And I know that's a big uh, courageous act, and it's it's not easy when you're grieving. Um, but it, it applies like everything else with grief. Grief has taught me so much. It's so my teacher and I'm still learning from it now that I'm, um, embracing equanimity, which I write and talk a lot about. Um, you can search in the blog for equanimity. If you just plug that term and you'll see some things coming up, but the equanimity piece is this ability to kind of let things be as they are. So this has been, um, um, a longer post about generosity, but the bottom line is this, when we notice ourselves reacting strongly to something, whether that's positively like, oh, this is awesome, or it's negatively like, oh my God, that's terrible. We want to we be curious. We want to cultivate this curiosity and this open-heartedness to say, why is this giving me such a hard time? Why am I so rattled, um, by this. And, you know, it's not the obvious things. This may seem very obvious to you who are listening or reading, but for me, I had no idea why my heart would race and my face would flush when I would see homeless people. And as I mentioned earlier, um, there's another post that's linked to this. You know, when I used to go to DC, I, I loved, you know, bringing in things and doing it very regularly for the homeless population. And, um, It was really feeding my spirit, but I didn't realize it at the time. At the time, I thought I was serving the community, and that's what was making me feel good. But it's actually showing up as the giver that I am that makes me feel more human. And the only way I know that about myself is because I haven't given up the quest to understand and to – learn how to apply those understandings in real time. And they really are, they're starting to bring me some peace. So that's the good news for today. I wanted to share it. I love hearing from the community if you have anything um, on this, or if you do try to practice it, you know, what you really want to do is, first, you're really allowing, you know, yourself to have that feeling and let it be what it is. We all reach for anesthesia. But truly, if we just, you know, we want to allow that to emerge. We want to process it and experience it. And then we want to start asking questions of it and about it. And that's really how we get to the good stuff. So I hope this has been helpful. And again, we don't want to, when we're cringing against something, you know, sometimes it's obvious, you know, something, someone's being exploited or um, someone's talking in a very hateful language or, or demeaning or shaming someone. I mean, that stuff always, that should always make humans uncomfortable when we see that happening <laughs> to other humans. But others, things are not so subtle. So if we use that alarm of, oh, this is making me so uncomfortable to get curious instead of putting more armor on, we may have a different experience. So thank you again for joining the Healing Path podcast. And as always, I hope we can stay present, stay grateful, and stay healing. And I absolutely thank you for listening.